Back in 1911, there was a naturalist author who passed on in a book something that had been reported to him by an eyewitness, which was that up in the Arctic some decades before, there had been an Algonquin Indian community that had starved to death during the winter, all except for one woman and her baby. Well, they too were starving. And so she headed out into the wilderness with her baby, hoping to find a group of people or a source of food. And she found a lake. No people, but there was some equipment being stored there, including a fishing line. And there were fish in the lake. But she was missing one thing. She had no baits. And so in order to be able to feed her baby and herself, she took a knife and cut from her thigh some of her own flesh to bait the hook, catch the first fish, and so to be able to continue to catch fish to feed herself and her child throughout that winter until they were able to journey on to find a group of people again. And this had been passed on to this writer by an eyewitness who had seen her and that scar upon her thigh where she had first took some of her own flesh. And of course, this is an impressive and moving story as we think what love this mother had for her child and how profound a gift it would be to take some of your own flesh so that your child might eat and live. And we can keep that in mind as we consider the words of our Lord Jesus in this Gospel reading today. We have come to this fourth Sunday out of five that we're working our way through the Gospel of John chapter 6. And really, this is the heart of the chapter. This is where Jesus has been headed the whole time. Remember back at the beginning, we had the account of his miraculous feeding. How starting from only five loaves, two fish, he was able to miraculously feed a crowd so large it would feel the Verizon Center. 5,000 men plus women and children, and had more left over at the end than what he started with. And how then the next day the crowd came looking for him, hoping he would do it again. And how he's been trying to lead that crowd to say, no, no, it's not that I'm going to keep doing this. This great miracle was a sign that was meant to tell you things, to point you on to more that I want to tell you, who I am, and the more that I want to do for you, even beyond feeding you miraculously with ordinary food. And so we've heard him say, that he is the bread of life come down from heaven and that he wants himself to give us life, eternal life, and also life right now. He's been trying to move the crowd to faith in him so they'll be ready for this particular teaching he arrives as he talks about a very specific and amazing way in which he will give us himself as bread to give us life. The crowd, unfortunately, has not, most of them have not been responding in that faith, and so they, rather than finding this a wonderful teaching, they find it strangest of all. So we should consider two questions. One is the question they ask, the other is the question they don't ask. The question they ask is, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? The question they don't ask is, why would he want to do that? 
how can this man give us his flesh to eat? We should be able to answer their question, or anyone else who might ask us as Catholics about this. They might have been thinking, would he do something like that Algonquin woman did in the 19th century, actually like cut into his own flesh and give us? Or would he just sort of stick out his hand here, eat? But that's not the way that he did it. That's not how he did it, is it? To know how he did it, we go forward to the Last Supper, where, celebrating that Passover meal with his disciples, he took the bread and the wine that were part of that celebration, but this time he said, this is my body, this is my blood. And thus, for the first time, by the power of his words, transformed what had been bread and wine into his own body and blood. No change in their appearance or anything that could be perceived, but what they were had changed. Thus he established the Eucharist and gave it to them, his first priests, to be able to give on to others. Let's say just a little bit more about that. If we ask, there at the back, we have a couple ciboria, those golden metal containers. If we ask, what is in them? Someone could go and look and say, well, I see some white, round, smooth, fragrance. And you say, what? You know, white, round, smooth, fragrant, what? Oh, well, bread. White, round, smooth, fragrant bread is what's in those ciboria. In a few minutes, they'll be brought up to the altar. And the priests, following the sacrament that our Lord instituted, will say again those words of his, this is my body, this is the chalice of my blood. And his power will change them so that now it is white, round, smooth, fragrant, body of Christ. What it is has changed using a particular philosophical terminology where what it is is called substance, we thus call this transubstantiation. The substance has changed. What it is has changed. Everything we can perceive about it by our senses or by any scientific instruments, that it's white, that it's round, that it's smooth, that it's fragrant, or anything else, has not changed. How will this man give us his flesh to eat? In this way. By transforming bread and wine so that it now is his flesh and blood that he gives to us. By doing so in this way, it doesn't scare us at all, does it? We don't see the magnificent glory of Christ in himself. We see something very common and ordinary and familiar that speaks to us of being nourished. Something that by its appearance speaks to us the appearance of his flesh and blood given completely for us in love. And thus, in this way, we are able to receive the flesh and blood he wants to give to us. But why? This question the crowd didn't ask. Why? Why would he want to do it for us? Partly, of course, the answer is that we need it. We need to receive this life for eternal life and for our life now. 
But surely there's an even better answer than that. And that is that why does he do this? He does it out of love. It was out of love that he created us. It was out of love that he united himself to us by taking on our human nature. It was out of love that he gave us his teaching to pass us on to us. It was out of love that he offered himself up to death and rose from the dead. It was out of love that he established all of his sacraments and instituted his priesthood so that he could reach out to us by his power. All of this is out of love. But he wanted to do something more. All of this was tremendous, but he wanted to go further so that we would not simply follow him at a distance, following his teaching, seeing him one day, but so that he would be with us now. I am with you always, even to the end of the age, he said right before he ascended to the Father. And in this way, He makes himself truly present to us. Not only in his divine nature as he is present in the whole universe, but fully. Body, blood, soul, and divinity as present to us as he was present to his disciples just under disguise. Because he wants to be with us and with a love that even surpasses the love of that Algonquin mother to give us himself as food and drink. Coming to understand that Christ is present in his church in this way and that he gives himself to us in this way has drawn many to the church. One of these was our first native-born American saint, St. Elizabeth San Seton. She had grown up in New York City in the late 1700s, a devout Episcopalian. But it was as she was spending time with a family in Italy that through their witness and through her own perception of God present in that tabernacle came gradually to understand how Christ was present and how he offered himself in the Catholic Church so that she, even in the midst of the anti-Catholicism of the United States at that time, became Catholic so that she could be united with Christ, whom she had always loved in this way. And this has been the story of so many before and after her, including myself. As some of you know from reading in the bulletin, I too, when I came to understand through the witness of a friend how Christ was really present in the Eucharist, said, well, if this is true, then I have to be here. I can't be anywhere else. And it is true. And so it is that as our Lord Jesus extends himself to us with this profound love, that we come to Mass every Sunday and even on weekdays to be with him and to receive him in Holy Communion. So it is that when we come into a church that we genuflect to the tabernacle because it is he himself that we are genuflecting to. So it is that we prepare ourselves to receive Holy Communion by going to sacramental confession so that He can gently cleanse us and make us a glorious home to receive Him. 
So it is that even outside of Mass, we spend time with him in prayer, coming to a church like this one so that we can be here before the tabernacle with him really present. Or even in Eucharistic adoration, or is he exposed in the monstrance so that we can look upon him and he can look upon us. Our Lord Jesus truly is the living bread come down from heaven. He is the bread of life. And he profoundly gives us his own flesh and blood out of that great love for us. May that love kindle a response of love in our own hearts as we approach this altar in this holy mass.